Welcome to Video Vices with Contemporary Research. Listen in monthly as we talk integration, innovation, and industry with leaders across AV. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast today. Welcome to Video Vices with Contemporary Research. I'm Tyler Kern. Today we are talking to a really exciting guest, a man named Corey Dunn. He's the Chief Creative Officer for the Esports Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Corey, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And when I see the uh, the growth of esports around the world, and especially here in the United States, it absolutely just astounds me. It's it's really incredible just to see the amazing growth in this space. And Corey, you've been in this area now for a, a little while. How did you initially get into the world of esports? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've been in esports since uh, really kind of my first paying gig was in December of, of 2004. Uh, but, you know, like like some, they like to say that they where they started in the very beginning. And for me, you know, I was in 1999 playing Counter-Strike before it came out. So wow. doing like the beta days. Um, but whenever I got my first paycheck, I was actually doing the CPL. That was the Cyber Athlete Professional League. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Dallas native. And, uh, you know, it, it all kind of came to came to full circle for me where I was like, awesome. I, you know, I, I love playing video games. And then I ended up doing commentary for it. But uh how it all worked out for me in, in 2002, I went to my very first gaming event ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was walking around the venue going, wow, this is so cool. And I heard some play-by-play commentary over the PA system. And I was like, I, I got to figure out where this is at. Cause this, that's just wild. And so I walked up and I saw this 10 by 10 booth is uh, it had a big banner on it said tsncentral.com and these guys had these huge CRT monitors in front of them with these big huge radio microphones uh, and they were doing play by play watching the wow. the Counter Strike games and I was like oh my god that's so cool <laughs> uh, so at that point I started listening to them on a regular over uh, internet radio because back then we didn't have YouTube we didn't have video streaming. Um, so I was listening to my internet radio and one day they had a commercial that said, if you think you can do what we can do, send us an audio demo. And I practiced for three months and then I got my very first gig, uh, like I said, in, in 2004. And then the rest, you know, I did commentary for 10 years and uh, traveled all over the world to Beijing, to Shanghai, to London, to Sweden, uh, to basically every major city in the U.S. And uh, all for doing commentary in the very beginning. That's really, really incredible. That That's an amazing story. When, when you first kind of got started, did you ever think that, you know, it would kind of explode the way it has and take you all over the world and you get to kind of see these unique places and have these experiences? Well, I think in the very beginning, it was what was really fascinating is, of course, we didn't have as many tournaments as we have today. We didn't have the visibility that we have today. Mm-hmm. But I love the, the the competition that had from it. You know, what's what's really unique is a lot of our esports, uh, you know, depending on the types of game that come a little homogenous, um, so meaning that a lot of the play styles are becoming more and more similar. Back then, uh, there was only one or two events where all of the teams from all over the world would come and play against each other. And so it was really fascinating to watch a Brazilian play style versus a Swedish play style versus a Chinese play style versus an American play style mm-hmm. and how they kind of all faced off against each other. It was, it was, it was cool back then. I mean, it was we just did it because we loved it. Right. right. We did it because we were passionate about it and – uh, we got better and better and we're like, hey, you know, I've got a following here. I mean, we weren't thinking about, you know, we, were, we had no social media really to think about either because we were using uh, channels called uh, MIRC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we, we leveraged those as our little channels where we'd all talk to each other. 
we weren't thinking about Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Twitch or anything along those lines. When I think about gaming, and what I think is, is particularly fascinating is that because it can take place online, it's it can be very decentralized. But in the world of esports, I, I think that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I would say that you found that there's value in having places like a physical stadium and physical events that people can attend because that provides a, a real experience for viewers and for gamers and that sort of thing. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. I mean, it, it comes down to it uh, that people people want to be around other people that are like minded to have the same type of interest. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff Moore over at the uh, Envy Gaming, who is the the president over at um, with the Dallas Fuel, he's got some kids that that are introverts that he calls out. Um, he said that whenever his kids were there at the the venue at the Dallas Fuel Homestand Weekend that his kids were cheering and yelling and they were so excited, but they weren't massive, you know, overwatch fans, but they loved that culture. They loved being around their peers. Right. So, I mean, it, it speaks leaps and bounds. And it, honestly, it creates this new faith for a gamer to go, man, you know, I remember, you know, you know, Joey who was next to me and, Oh, that was so much fun. And you may have even created a lifelong friend from that point on. Yeah, there's a, there's a real power, I, I think, in being around like-minded people like that, like you mentioned. And for so long, video games have been you know, stigmatized in one particular way. But then to go to an event where it's really it's cool and it's popular and everybody around you kind of likes those same things, that, that can be a powerful thing for young people or just for anybody that enjoys gaming in general. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's been fun. One of the things that I'm really curious about is how advancements in AV technology has really opened the door for what you can do in terms of production at events like this. How have you seen that develop just over your time in gaming? So I'll give you two different aspects of of how things have kind of grown. Uh, One, of course, you know, we made the transition from internet radio. I'll give, you know, your your listeners a little bit of a a tidbit that they may not know. So the term shoutcaster, for those that may still know the term shoutcaster, uh, it actually originated from Winamp. So Winamp was a, a music uh, media player uh, that had a plugin that was called Shoutcast. That was the only reason why Shoutcasters were called that in, from, from the very beginning. Uh, it's not because we yelled or screamed or anything like that. Uh, what was really awesome, though, is just seeing the, the gradual uh, advancements from the underground, which really you're dealing with passionate people. So mm-hmm. all they cared about, they learned how to use all of the gear and they wanted to know how they could do their jobs better and better and better. And so we built on top of that. But then you've got the emergence of a lot of these, you know, traditional sports, national broadcasts that are trying to you know, work their way into this space. And it really in the beginning, it was a clash. I mean, we'll, we'll all be honest. It was a clash in the very beginning of how we approach things and how traditional sports approach things. And now that we're learning from one another, uh, which has been really awesome, because in the, in the past uh, for esports, we were really more into this. How do we con- how do we save ourselves through software? Uh, and in traditional sports, more focused around how do we do this with hardware? Both of them are correct. Um, and so how to be able to merge those two together. And that's where we kind of ended up. And that's whenever we were designing out all the AV for the eSports stadium in Arlington. That's when we took that in, into consideration is there's there's the right tool for the job, right? So right. you use a screwdriver whenever you got screws, use a hammer whenever you got nails. And that's what we were able to figure out how to do everything effectively and using the right tool for the job. One thing that really strikes me about what you've been able to create, specifically out in Arlington, is 
that uh, just as somebody that grew up, uh, you know, kind of a, a fan of the more traditional sports, or suppo- I suppose, what you've really created is an incredible immersive experience uh, using a lot of that AV and that tech uh, with screens and the information that you're able to put up there and the stats mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. That's a real experience that people are kind of looking for and gravitating towards more these days. Absolutely. So there's another token to that is, you know, there's something unique about what we have. Uh, mm-hmm. I use the the expression of, you know, think about one of our basketball players steps up to a three-point line and he releases the ball in the air. And, and the first question is, well, was that a three-point shot? Right. Um, and for us, we're 100% sure. We know. We also know in real time how, how long the ball was in the air, how far the ball had to travel, how many times has he made that exact shot from that exact location. Is this generally a weak spot or a you know, big spot or not? This all is real-time data because, you know, in, in the end of the day, Video games are digital, and so it allows us to properly be able to integrate. So a lot of the the information uh, that you have up on the board in traditional sports, so the ribbon boards that go around, that's mm-hmm. manually inputted data right. from at least one person. So from our side, it's data that is generated, which allows us to create and focus our attention on programming and creating really cool components like one of our players losing health. Well, let's make the stage or his light above him flicker. So it creates that intrigue, that more of that immersive experience for those that are there in the venue. That's really, really awesome. So for people that might not be familiar with uh, the, the stadium-going experience for esports, how, what are the different ways that people can consume content at an esports arena? Can you follow one particular player, or how does that all work for people that, that maybe haven't had that experience before? Yeah, so and, and for us today, where we're at, as, as we start to look and leverage different type of technology, we can definitely get to the point where... You know, from while you even while you're in the venue, you can then also tap into multiple views. Our venue is not at that point, but the infrastructure and the ideas are are there. Uh, but as for someone that comes there to the venue, uh, there's a few different things that a uh, that a fan could experience. Is one, of course, the community aspect that we talked about earlier. Uh, also, is you know really being able to be right there. It's like seeing Michael Jordan sitting up there, you know, driving the lane. Well, guess what? You can see. Dupree or device from Astralis playing Counter-Strike right there in front of you and going, oh my goodness, like that player is like the best in the world. They've traveled all over. They've won millions of dollars. And so being able to have that kind of connection there emotionally. And then lastly is is really the the environment itself. So we see, we see the angles that make sense for the viewer inside the arena. So uh, for those that watch Twitch or watch the broadcast or the streams on, at home, uh, what happens in the venue is slightly different, not drastically, but slightly different where the screen itself is is showing some program of the actual game. But then over on the side is all the extra ancillary data, whether it's uh, map overviews or player information up to the moment, player information, or that's again, like I mentioned as well as like the lighting cues. So they get a full uh, experience where they can look for the information where they at, where they want to. Uh, especially for our our facility where we've got 90 feet worth of LED from left to right. Wow. That's really, really incredible. So what what kind of innovations and what things do you see maybe coming down the pipeline that you think are going to continue to innovate and evolve in this space? Because it really feels like, I mean, it kind of feels like to me like the, the options are endless, you know, and that, uh, it, that the potential there is, you know, to continue to create these immersive experiences using maybe VR or something like that, that those are kind of endless opportunities that you have to to continue to draw in viewers and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. so there, there's definitely some things that we we all are thinking of, and it, it comes down to the the technology we have in place. We can do 
a ton. We can do quite a bit where we can create even more immersive experiences. It just comes down to the relationships between publishers, between venues, uh, between other different types of technology, which then would allow everyone to be able to create this very intriguing programming. You mentioned VR. Uh, thinking about being able to have the, the a spectator, you know, although they may have the weakest spot in the house, they may be in the back side of the room, farthest away from everything else up on the main stage, but maybe those be could, could become premium seats with utilizing VR and being able to drop them directly into the game or put them in unique positions up there on the stage so they can see behind the players. Mm. So there's a lot of different capabilities that exist. Uh, it just comes down to it is, is, is just the collaboration between the sponsors as well as the, the, um, the publishers and, and the venues alike. Yeah, you could really see a day where there's really not a bad seat in the house whatsoever because of how you're able to bring the game to them using technology and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So has there been a rise in interest from corporate sponsors and people that want to get involved in the esports space just because of its popularity, specifically with some younger generations that have been traditionally a little harder to reach marketing-wise? Have you seen that interest rise over the years from corporate sponsors? There's no question. I mean, the fact that it's become more and more mainstream sponsors are really interested. Uh, what's unique, though, that probably a lot don't know is that a lot of the high-level brands that we all think about, you know, our, our top 500 brands, you know, they have become very smart. Um, they also understand that they're starting to really pay attention to what the numbers really mean. And so their focus is really content-driven. And for creating, you know, with, uh, in retail spaces and brick-and-mortar spaces, you know, sponsors are looking for uh, fan engagement, guest experience, things like that. That still holds true for a venue. Uh, but in the end of the day, whenever you look at the esports collective, the the sponsorships are now looking at the content because that's where all the eyeballs are truly at. Absolutely. So when I think about uh, how, I guess, how people consume regular broadcasts, I, I really do think it's amazing some of the aspects that you're able to bring to a broadcast nowadays that, that – uh, maybe traditional sports haven't always had. And so you mentioned that that kind of uh, taking ideas from one another. How do you feel like that, I guess, those compromises and that, that merging of ideas continues as you move forward? What can you take from more traditional sports? And how do you continue to maybe move the product forward in coming years? Some of them is, is related to operationally, right? So is, is finding people it's great to find. So I, I'll, I'll backtrack for a second. So yeah. being the, the the chief creative officer at the Esports Day Marlington, I also manage all of the the technology uh, that is, is shown within the venue, which also includes all of the broadcast controls. And so I, I help different tournament organizers bring in operators into the space. And there's a philosophy that I've got is there are certain positions where you want someone to be hyper-passionate about esports. That's your observers. Uh, that's sometimes your graphic operators because they can be able to sell you different graphics that you weren't even thinking about beforehand. But then there's other types of roles, like a, a technical director who's creating, you know, setting up the scenes, building out those things. You know, those are positions where you'd like to have somebody that is, you know, a veteran of. And so that way you can say, as a director or a producer, you can say, hey, I'd love to have this type of setup. And they can build that look and feel while the director and producer focuses on the overall show uh, and the more keeping it esports relevant. And so it's been it's been a great experience so far where we've been marrying these two worlds together where you may have half of your crew knows a lot about esports and then the other half may not. But over time, you fast forward, and this is something that happened with Major League Gaming. Uh, they did it quite a bit where they had some you know young blood that were 
eager to learn and become very strong. And then they had some really high level guys that knew their stuff really well. And then they started to kind of marry off each other. And more importantly, they started to communicate about their processes and philosophies and things like that. So they both started to learn each other's worlds. And so we're starting to see a lot of that in terms of technology. There's so many cool, unique tools that are out there. We, as we start to become more and more robust in the type of technology we do in esports, uh, there are some technical concerns that we have to be cognizant of that sure. we may have not been thinking about, like um, you know frequencies, um, thinking about cable links and distances, and just a lot of the some of the things that you may take for granted that uh, now we're starting to be able to figure out. Is the media ecosystem around esports growing and kind of developing kind of that 360 degree coverage, I suppose, where there's pregame and postgame and written articles and, and coverage kind of from a lot of different mediums uh, around esports that kind of creates that immersive experience for fans that want to always be following everything going on? Have you seen that been, being developed around uh, the productions of esports? I would say that's been going on a lot longer than probably most consider. I mean, even sure. to the point where right now where esports has got, you know, fantasy leagues and uh, building those out. So, of course, there's there's you know the additional information that's very ESPN like. The only difference is, is that a lot of the the ESPN likes are actually more dedicated to their particular types of games. I'm a big Counter-Strike fan, so mm -hmm. HLTV.org would be my go-to source for all Counter-Strike information ever. So I can learn all about all the players and the teams and everything. That's really already, that, that component exists. Now, as in terms of looking at the broadcast, that's where everybody's coming together, where we do have pregame shows, we do have build-ups. Now, there's one part that we have to look at that's a little bit different. So in esports, typically, we've got several games that are happening within one day that's all coming from one broadcast channel. In traditional sports, for the most part, not including golf, not including NASCAR, maybe Wimbledon probably to be another good example. But for the, all those other ones, they're building out their entire program because they know the two teams that are playing a week, some, you know, talking about football, they know the two teams that are about to play in the very beginning of the season, they know how they're going to play. Now with the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty League, and even for League of Legends, um, those games, we have a little bit more anticipation, which means that you have a little bit more time to build those storylines and build those packages and features right. uh, prior to even diving deep into the match itself. Since you've done some of the commentary for these, what are some of the challenges that, that you've faced as far as, uh, what are some of the, I guess, unique challenges presented by calling and commentating on uh, an esports you know, match and an esports kind of gaming atmosphere? What are some of those challenges as compared to, you know, if I'm just sitting courtside calling a basketball game or something like that? So one of the things I'll, I'll speak on behalf because I did a 10-year run. So I, I quit doing commentary, play-by-play -play commentary in 2014. Uh, because I realized that I enjoyed directing a lot more. And and also, I was, I was getting older. <laughs> I, was just, I know not a lot older, but I was getting older where it's hard to be able to stay in tune with every single player, every single thing that was going on. So there's a lot of similarities of what you're looking at. Now, I had the benefit of, I started off in internet radio. And so I had to learn how to paint the picture for uh, my audience right out of the gates. And so I learned how to be able to establish that. Now, whenever we transition over into doing live video streaming, that's where I started to be more of the the tone of of the broadcast opposed to the the you know being able to paint the picture fully. 
So from a difference between being courtside versus what is an esports, the biggest difference now is you know we're dealing with a digital product that allows me as a as a commentator, if I'd like to, I can use my own observer and fly around to different areas that I have interest. If I'm like, wow, I see a stack that's happening, but I use my own in-game observer to get to that point, and then now the game, now my program observers i'm saying wow there's a stack that's happening right here over on you know on this side my then my program my director everything like that would throw me over into that area and so now i can talk about what's actually happening on screen it's really unique where you know from a, if you're up in the booth and in, in, in the nfl they have several uh monitors that are in front of them mm -hmm. so they can see different angles but the most important factor that most people don't know is they actually have spotters with them as well so you may ever wonder why a play-by-play -play commentator in traditional sports is like, well, you know, that's, you know, Darian Hatcher or, or, you know, different types of, or that's, that's Dak Prescott who did blah, 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 and tossed it over here to this, you know, this lineman. And he knows everything to the T. Well, he's actually got a spotter that's right there with him that has a card. Now these guys are professionals. They, over time, they don't need those type, types of components, but they're like, they already know because the spotter's saying, you know, po literally pointing to this player tackled this player and whatever, or mm -hmm. more than likely there's a penalty that happens there. So we've got our different forms of finding out the deeper information that the audience themselves don't see. Absolutely. Well, I, I really appreciated the old school uh, Dallas Stars reference there with Darian Hatcher. That was, that, was, <laughs> that was good. As a born and raised Dallas kid, that uh, that speaks nice. to me. Corey, thank you so much for joining me today and talking a little bit more about some of these intricacies for broadcasts for esports and maybe where the world of esports is going in the future, specifically with those stadiums. I think it's a really, really incredible thing. People need to get out there and see it if they haven't been out to Arlington. But Corey, thank you again so much for joining us here on Video Vices by Contemporary Research. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.